Okay, if you have your Bibles tonight, turn to the book of Hosea, and we'll be in Hosea chapter number 3. Hosea chapter number 3. And if you've looked at Hosea chapter number 3, you're thinking, wow, we're going to get out of here quick tonight. It's only five verses. Preachers love chapters with five verses. You can just talk about all those verses for a long, long time. Let's go back and uh, set the setting again. If you remember, God told Hosea to take a wife from amongst the prostitutes. And he was to marry her and he was to love her. And he did exactly what God told him to do. And he, he picked Gomer and I, I believe he really loved Gomer. And uh, he had a child with her and... Uh, God told him to name that child Jezreel because God sows, God scatters. And then he had, she had two more children. And more than likely, she had those children as a re result of an adulterous affair. And so God told her, uh, uh, Hosea to name the first child Lo-Ruhamah, which means uh, the child does not know the father's mercy. The child does not know the father. Then she had a second child, uh, in an adulterous affair, and he told uh, Hosea to name that child Loami. You are not my people, because this child was not, you know, a legitimate child. And God was giving a picture there of his relationship with the nation of Israel, because they had gone into harlotry. And there was a generation that had been raised up that did not know the Father's mercy. They didn't know the Father. And God was not their God, and so God said to them, You are not my people. Well, as we come to chapter 3, uh, Gomer's gone back into prostitution. She's more than likely living with one of her lovers, maybe even her pimp. I hate to use that word, but that's, I think that's where she was at. And uh, God's going to ask Hosea to do something, boy, I would have a real problem with. If I had a wife who was a prostitute, who had left me, I was trying to take care of her. I was trying to nurture her. I was doing all of these things to, to show love to her. And then she went out and became a harlot. I'll tell you where I would be at. I would be done with her, totally done with her. And I think maybe at this point, Hosea is done with Gomer. But God does something strange. He says in verse number one of chapter number five, he said, says, I'm sorry, chapter number three. No wonder I couldn't find the right verse. There we go. In chapter number three, he says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again. He says, Love a woman who is loved by a lover. Not, not me. Not you. Not you, Hosea. And is committing adultery. And then he says, Here's the reason I want you to do that, because that's exactly what's happened to me. He says, Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So God says, even though she's living in this adulterous affair, let me tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go find her and I want you to bring her back home and I want you to love her and I want you to, to bring her back into your home and I want her to be your wife. Wow. That's a tall order. And, and you got to ask yourself, why would God require Hosea to do such a thing? Why would he tell him to go get that wife out of prostitution and, and uh, bring her back home? 
I'll tell you why. Because God wanted Hosea to feel the feelings that he was feeling about Israel. And that was the only way he was going to feel that way. It's the only way he was going to be able to write what God wanted him to write with the same feelings that God had. And so God tells him to do this. See, he, and he tells us why here in this verse. He said, because Israel had gone after other gods. Israel had become a harlot, a lover of an, a, 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 a nation living in an adulterous affair with other nations and with other gods. They had gone so far that they had adopted the, the gods of the, the Canaanites because those raisin cakes were something that they offered up to these pagan gods. Now, if you have the King James Version, it says that they loved the flagons of wine, but I don't know where they got that translation from because that's not what's in the Greek text. The Greek text is cakes of raisins, and those were cakes that were offered unto the pagan gods. So here was Israel who was engaged in all sorts of harlotries and worshiping all of these for former gods. And uh, if I was God, what would I do? I mean, if I was God, let me tell you what I would do. I would be done with Israel. And that's, I think, the place where Hosea was with Gomer. He was done with Gomer. But God says, you know, he makes a really surprising move here. He says, I want you to go back and I want you to take Gomer because one day I'm going to go back and I'm going to bring Israel back home to me. That's the point that he's making. And so go to verse number two. I mean, he tells, her to, he, he tells Hosea, I want you to do the unthinkable. I want you to take her back. And in verse number two, he says, so I brought, bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one half homers of barley. Now, I got to tell you, Hosea loved the Lord. I have no doubt about that. Because the Lord tell, or he was very afraid of the Lord, probably a little bit of both. Because the Lord tells him, I want you to go take Gomer back and bring her back into your home. And I want you to love her and I want you to make her your wife again. And what does he do? Immediately, he went out and he bought her. He bought her back and he bought her back for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. That's really an interesting. Uh, those are interesting numbers right there because the going price for a slave in those days were, was 30 pieces of silver and one homer of barley. So she had gotten to be such trash that he got a deal on her. He got her back for half price. He bought her out of this uh, uh, slavery, this uh, prostitution ring she was part of, he bought her for half price, 15 shekels of silver and one and a half uh, homers of barley. And so what God is doing here, he's given uh, Hosea a picture of the way he feels about Israel. But it's also a picture of the way God feels about the human race. Really, if you think about it, we are all a bunch of spiritual harlots. I mean, maybe not anymore. I mean, I think there are a lot of Christians who are still spiritual harlots. In fact, I, I probably engage in some harlotry myself from time to time of the spiritual nature. And so the whole, if you look at the human race, that's what we are. I mean, God created us for himself. And we've taken that and twisted it around and we think God is 
created or God exists for us. And when God doesn't do exactly what we want him to do, we chase after other gods and we go astray. Isn't that what the Bible says over and over again? How we, we're all a bunch of harlots. You remember over in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. No, we've turned, we've turned away from God uh, to chase after other gods, to chase after material things. Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 5. He's, uh, actually, Romans chapter 3. I'm getting these fives and threes mixed up tonight. Y'all bear with me. In Romans chapter 3, he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, they have all turned aside. There is no, none righteous, no, not three, not four, not five, no, not one. Every single human being has turned aside. And he says, Paul goes on to say, they, are, they have, and he's quoting from Psalms 14, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no not one. We all are adulterers. Before we're saved, we definitely were all adulterers. Just think about it. I mean, God created us. He created this earth on which we live. The air that we breathe, where do we get that air? It comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. And so we should have hearts full of love and gratitude for God. But we worship other things. We turn aside from God to go after all sorts of other things other than God. Man, is that not applicable to the United States of America today? This great nation with all of these great resources that God gave us and all of these blessings that he's given us over the centuries. And now, man, is just get God. We want to get God out of everything. We don't want God involved in any part of our life. And, and, and so we've turned aside from God as a, as a, as a nation. We've, 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 we're chasing after idols. We're chasing after material things. We worship the earth that God created and we forget the creator. And so uh, we're just like Gomer. Our nation is just like Gomer. Our nation is just like Israel, and just put yourself in Gomer's, I mean, in Hosea's shoes for a minute. I mean, would you, if your wife was doing, or your spouse was doing what, what Gomer was doing, would you go chase after her and, and uh, uh, save her and bring her back home? I don't think so. And it's just unthinkable that God would do that. It's unthinkable. You know what that is? That is what we call amazing love, amazing Grace, for God so loved the world. He loved us so much that even though we were a bunch of spiritual harlots, he came chasing after us. He sent his only begotten son that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. That's amazing love. That's amazing grace because we, none of us deserve that. And he didn't buy us back for 15 pieces of silver and a half uh, homer of, of barley or wheat. He bought us back with the life of his own son. He bought us back with himself. Remember what Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but from your sinless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. We were all a bunch of low amies. 
We were not God's people. We had received that from, from our fathers. But with, we were, have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. God gave everything to buy us back. Everything to get us back. That's why the Bible is so adamant that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. I mean, what? I mean, they, if you say there's another way, you're trampling on that blood. You're trampling on the blood of Christ. I mean, the greatest gift of all, you're saying, I don't need that gift. You know, we all needed that gift because we were all a bunch of spiritual harlots. Then in verse number three, he says, and I said to her, you stay here with me many days. Gomer, I'm fed up with you chasing other men. This time, I'm, I think he's almost saying this is your last chance. God wouldn't say that to us, thank goodness. But he says that to Gomer. You stay with me many days and you, and you shall not play the harlot anymore. Nor shall you have a man but me. So too will I be towards you. I've redeemed you. I've bought you out of this harlotry. And don't go back to prostitution again. Don't ever be with a strange man again. Don't ever be with another man but me. And if you'll be true to me, I'll be true to you. Isn't that exactly what God tells us? I mean, he, he tells us, he says, stay with me. Stay with me from now on many days. Don't play the harlot anymore. Don't go after pagan gods and material things. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having material things. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But don't, they, they can't be our God. Don't make the dollar our God. Don't, don't chase after all of these things that really will harm you. And if you'll do that, if you'll, if you'll be loyal to me, I'll be loyal to you. You find that over and over and over again in the Bible. Let me just show you one place. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians. Go to chapter number 6. And look down at verse number 16. He says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Who's the temple of God? You are the temple of God. I am the temple of God. For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be their, my people, and they'll be loyal to me. I will be loyal to them. He says, therefore, come out from among them, from the rest of this world, all of those who have gone astray, all of those who are chasing after evil things, are chasing after pagan gods, after living in pagan ways. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Now let me say this. This passage is not saying that you get saved by separating yourself from this world and turning to God. That's not what it's saying at all. What it's saying is this. That if you want to live in a relationship where God can bless you instead of discipline you all the time, then you need to turn from those idols and turn to God. You need to be loyal to God and he'll be loyal to you. God's going to always be loyal to his children. I'll give you a little bit of clue there. But you're, if we're living in idolatry, if our lives are full of idols... And there's all sorts of idols in this world. They're not just things you bow down to. It's anything that takes you 
away from your relationship with God. If your life is full of things that are taking you away from your relationship with God, you're not going to experience the blessed life that God has for you. But if you turn from that and turn from the things that this world is chasing after, he says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and you will understand. You will not be low ruhamah, where you don't understand the Father's mercy. You will experience the Father's mercy, and I will, I will be a father to you. You will be ruhamah. You will be a me, my people. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. If you're born again here today, you're a, you're a son and daughter of God, but you might not be living in the blessings that God has for you because we're so prone to wonder. We're so prone to chase after empty idols, things that don't fill our thirst. Don't satisfy our hunger. And that's the message that he's given to us right here. All right, then go back to the text now. So here's God and he makes his offer. He's making the same offer to Israel that Gomer was making, I mean that Hosea was making to Gomer. Stay with me many days. Don't play the harlot. Abandon all those pagan gods and turn to me. And be loyal to me and I will be loyal to you. So God's saying, look, I'm going to forgive your sins. And I'm going to give you a great hope and a great future if you'll just turn from your idols and turn to me. But you know what? God knew that wasn't going to happen. God knew, just like, I mean, we don't know the end story with Gomer, but Gomer had it in her heart, in her, she had it in her heart to be a harlot. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if at some point she didn't return back to her prostitution. But God knew that Israel was going to return to their prostitution. He knew that they were going to listen to his plea. He knew that, that Hosea was almost speaking hot air as far as the Israelites were concerned, even though that was the word of God. He knew that they weren't going to heed his word. And so now what Hosea is going to do, he's going to prophesy a time that was coming soon. If you're looking at picking up in verse number four, he's going to prophesy a time where the children would, of Israel would go into captivity and their entire culture would be stripped away from them. And that captivity was going to last a long, long time. Let me tell you what, there comes a point where we can put ourselves in a position where God's discipline is so severe, it doesn't end in a few days, it doesn't end in a few months, it doesn't end in a few years, it can last a lifetime. If we're determined to chase after everything in this world but him. At some point, there's going to be some really severe discipline. And that's a message on an individual level. But on a national level, he was giving that to the nation of Israel. Your time's coming. You're not listening to me. You don't hear me. 
and your time's coming and you're going to go into captivity and you're going to have a very difficult time for a long, long time. Look at verse number four. For the children of Israel shall abide many, many, or I'm adding that, many days without a king or priest, without a sacrifice or a sacred pillar, without an altar, without an ephod or a teraphim. When there's no ephod or no teraphim, what's that mean? No high priest, no sacrificial system. You know what would bother me the most if I was a Jew? If I believe still that my sins are forgiven through the sacrificial system, how are my sins being forgiven? Man, that would make me cry out, Lord, I need a redeemer. Because there is no sacrificial system now for the Jews. But, but Hosea prophesies that for many days they're going to be without a king or priest, without a, without a sacrifice or sacred pillar, without an altar or without an ephod or a teraphim. They would live on as his people after they get judged, but they would not live on as a nation for many days. Now, this is interesting. He's speaking to which kingdom, the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom? The northern kingdom. When God prophesied about the captivity of the southern kingdom, he told them how long they would be in captivity. Remember how long was that? Seventy years. We saw that in the book of Daniel because Daniel started praying and they came out of captivity. So they were told 70 years. The northern kingdom was told many days. Well, many days doesn't sound so bad. Unless you have ever read 2 Peter chapter 3. Many days. Who's speaking here? The Lord's speaking here. When the Lord says many days. He means many, many days. Because one day to the Lord is as a thousand years. Do you realize that the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, is still, and really the southern kingdom now, but the northern kingdom is still fulfilling this prophecy that we're reading here tonight? Those many days are still taking place. They still have not returned to the land. And it's only now in this time in which we live that a few of them are returning. But do they have a king yet? Is the line of David, you know, remember they were told that a king from the line of David would reign on the throne of Israel forever and ever. Is that king there yet? No. Do they have an altar? No. Is there a high priest? No. I mean, that's not going to happen until after the time of Jacob's trouble, after the time of the great tribulation. That's exactly what Hosea told us in chapter 1, verse 11, when he told us that there will come a time when, when Israel will dwell in the land and they will dwell in a united kingdom, north and south, together. But that hasn't happened yet. Because they've returned to the land. But let me ask you a question. Have they returned to the Lord? No, they have not returned to the Lord. Israel has not returned to the Lord. Israel is a secular 
nation. I was listening to a guy the other day. I hear these evangelists sometimes say, man, we've got to put every effort we can into evangelizing Israel. If we get Israel saved, then the Lord will return. That's some bad theology right there. Israel is not going to get saved right now. They're going to get saved during the, at the end of the Great Tribulation is when Israel's going to be saved. So that's some, that's some really bad theology. I mean, for, for right now, they are still being punished. And they have not returned to the Lord. I heard this evangelist say anyway, he said that he didn't believe that there were more than a thousand Jews, real Jews in all of Israel that were true Christians. So it was less than a thousand of them. I mean, think about that. Two thousand years from the cross and there's less than a thousand Jews in Israel that are truly saved. That's a pretty low number. But what kind of covenant were they given about the land? We saw that Sunday. In Psalms 105, how long, how long did God give them the land for? Forever. Still their land. And so we know one day they are going to return to that land. That's an everlasting covenant. Thank goodness that God gave, gives everlasting covenants. And he doesn't back off on his word. But look at verse number five now. He says, afterward, after they've gone into captivity and many days have passed. Now, we know, for, we know now that those many days are at least a couple of thousand years, several thousand years, actually, or 3,000 years almost. I mean, that's, that's a long time. That the children of Israel shall return and seek Jehovah their God. Now, that day has not happened. Why are they going to seek God when they do seek him? Two reasons. Let me tell you, there's two reasons they're going to seek out after God. One is because they're going to be in a lot of trouble. That's when a lot of us seek out, out after God, is when we're in a lot of trouble. But even then, it takes a spiritual awakening. There's going to be a spiritual awakening in Israel in the last days. And then they're going to seek after God, and they're going to find God. And they're going to seek David, their king. See, they are seeking they don't really care right now. Netanyahu's fine or Rabin or one of those guys will be fine for them. You know, they're not really, they're not, their hearts aren't yearning for that, that line of David to be on the throne. They don't think they, like I say, less than a thousand understand who the Messiah is. They don't understand that Jesus Christ is the king that's going to rule and reign in Israel. Maybe with David there by his side, I don't know. I think Jesus will Personally, it will rule from, rule from the new Jerusalem and David will rule the physical kingdom here on earth. But that's, you know, that's for another time. But that prophecy has not been fulfilled yet. I mean, this prophecy that afterwards the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord, uh, their God and their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Uh, that prophecy has not been fulfilled. Now we, I believe that we are in the latter days. It's interesting it doesn't say the last days because the last days begin at Pentecost and will end with the return of Jesus Christ. The latter days refer to the very end, the time of the end. I believe we're living in that time right now. Now how soon will it be? Y'all want a date? I'll give it to you. No, I won't give you a date. But maybe... It might be next year that all of this begins, that you see this peace treaty with Israel and all, then, then the peace treaty is broken and we see all the things that we talked about in Daniel. It might be 100 years from now. But I'll tell you this, we're in the 
latter days. Many, those many days that Hosea spoke of, they're, they're, they're really now coming down to days, maybe a few years, not, not another century. I am certain of that. Now, why is that so? I mean, I mean why, why is there not going to be a revival in Israel? I mean, why can't they be revived now? Why can't we send a bunch of evangelists over there and see them revive? Because God, that's not the way God has planned their destiny. I mean, remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 11. He says, for I do not desire you, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. And that part is that they don't see the Messiah. They don't see Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And if you've ever tried to witness to a Jew, take them a Bible and take them to Isaiah 53 and read them that. Take them to Psalm 22 and read them Psalms 22. Take them to Daniel chapter 7 and show them that great prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. I mean, show them one thing after the other. They don't see it. They don't see it. No more than a Jehovah's Witness sees it when you talk to them about uh, Jesus being God. They don't see that. A Mormon doesn't see that. They, they see it another way. Why do you see it the right way? Because your spiritual eyes have been opened. And, and, and this is what it says in Romans 11. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. They're not going to see. You can't make them see. Only God can make them see. Now, you can pray for the nation of Israel. And the sooner the nation of Israel gets saved, the sooner we go into the millennium. Hallelujah, right? No more floods. Uh, no more hurricanes out in the Atlantic. Nothing to worry about. None of that stuff anymore. So I'm looking forward to that day. But it's not going to happen uh, through evangelism. I mean, if you want to go evangelize Israelites, you might save one or two. Who knows? And it's worth it. But, but uh, don't expect to see the nation saved. But one day they will be. You know, you would think that just through fear, they would turn to the Lord now. Have you ever looked at a map, a, a, a map of the, a, a, you know, say a map about the size of a piece of paper of the Middle East and then looked at the nation of Israel? You will have trouble finding it. It is just a little sliver on that map. And they're surrounded by all their friends. No. Every one of those countries that surround them, except maybe Jordan, and one day they will come against them too. They want them annihilated. They want them, they want them thrown out into the sea and drowned or their heads all chopped off. They, they want them, uh, they want another holocaust. Well, they've got the United States, right? Ron sent me an email today where the Lutheran councils voted this past week to, for the BDS movement. We talked about one Sunday a while back about boycott, divest, and sanction Israel. And that church is now part of that movement. They don't have many friends left. If they're probably we are their best friends. But, but man, if they're looking to us, <laughs> they're, they're, they're in trouble. And the, Israel's got a mighty army. But it's not mighty enough to defeat all the armies of the world. Now, with the Lord, they're mighty enough. 
And so, you know, hopefully they will turn to the Lord, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think actually the way I interpret scripture, I believe they actually will be defeated. The Antichrist will come rule in that land. And then Armageddon, we saw this in Daniel, Armageddon is not a battle between Israel and the rest of the world. It's a battle between the Antichrist and the Eastern armies and some of the other armies in the world. So at some point Israel's going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to be defeated and they're not going to cry out to God at that point. They're still not going to cry out to God. They're going to go through the great tribulation and they still won't cry out to the Lord until that revival comes. Now they'll be ripe for revival. You know, that's the encouraging thing about what's going on maybe here in Lafayette and Louisiana. Louisiana keeps getting hit. I told a guy the other day, one of these pastors that called me, I said, we're like Bangladesh or something here in Louisiana. It's one tragedy after the other. But maybe that's, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we're ripe for revival. Maybe God's about to do a great work in Louisiana. Wouldn't it be great to be part of that? That's what, we, that's what we hope for. But after the great tribulation, you better believe Israel's going to be ripe for revival. And, and they're going to be revived. Go with me over to the next to last book of the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, which we'll get to here probably in a few weeks. No, don't bet on it. Go to Zechariah chapter 12. You got Zechariah, then Malachi, then Matthew. And you see how, you see the process. The great tribulation is taking place. The Lord is about to return. And then verse number 10, and I will pour, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace. See the revival? There's the revival. And because their eyes now are no longer closed, why, why, is, why, is, why is God suddenly opening their eyes? Because he's done with the Gentiles. He's done with us. I believe when the great tribulation starts, we're raptured at that point before the great tribulation because every chosen Gentile that's going to be saved will be saved other than the tribulation saints that are going to come into the kingdom at that point. And yes, not the way you want to come into the kingdom through the, through the tribulation. But when all of that's over, he says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And I love this. They will look on Jesus. Now look what it says. They will look on me. Another case for the deity of Jesus Christ because that is the Lord speaking here. There's no doubt about it. And he said, they will look on me whom they have pierced. And yes, they will mourn for him. They will understand at that point that they pierced me. They pierced Jehovah God. When I say me, I mean the Lord speaking. Jehovah God, they pierced. He came because he so loved the world, this world that had gone astray, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. And they will look on him whom they've pierced and they will mourn. And he gives a metaphor of the mourning there as for him as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one who grieves for a, a firstborn, for a lost child is what they're saying there. What he's saying there, Zechariah saying, the Lord's saying right there. So see the process? After many, many days, 
in the latter days. There'll be this time of Jacob's trouble. And then their eyes will be opened. The Lord will return and land on the Mount of Olives. And they will look at him and realize that they were the ones that crucified him or had him crucified. We all did. I'll tell you what, one day we'll mourn when we look on him whom we've pierced. But they'll mourn. They'll be, their eyes will be open and they'll realize that they were kicking against the goats. They were kicking against the Lord himself. And then they'll have a king. And they'll have an altar, the cross. And they'll have a high priest, none other than Jesus Christ. You know, many days have passed. Many days. I have no doubt we're living in those latter days that he speaks of here, the Lord speaks of here through the prophet Hosea. I have no doubt that God himself is about to revive Israel. But before that happens, he's going to gather us up, bring us home. They're going to go through the great tribulation and then we will return with him to rule on this earth with him from the new Jerusalem for a thousand years. If you're all millennialist or you're post-tribber, still, we still can fellowship with you, but I won't be here if you're, if, if you're post-tribber. I won't be here. I'm telling you, I'm going to be out of here when, when that rapture takes place. So bad news for Israel for many, many days, but great news for Israel. They've got a future and they've got a hope because the Lord never gave up on them through all of their harlotries. Even now, he doesn't give up on them. And he'll never give up on you because his covenants are forever. His promises are forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the good news that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, how you took a, a bunch of harlots like us and you saved us. You paid for our sins. You gave us your Holy Spirit. Lord, and you've given us such a future and such a hope. We're living in difficult times right now, Lord. And the good news is that through these difficult times, Lord, there is hope. You are our hope. And Lord, we just thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we look forward to the day of your coming. We say, Maranatha, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's in your precious name that I pray. Amen.